Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. Today, we are joined by my friend, American television and radio personality, Steve Edwards. You've seen him in your living room for years. You've heard him in the car and in your homes for even longer. And now the host of The Ramble on Instagram, where you can find him at Steve Edwards LA. So what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in terms of people's views and trust of the media? Well, first of all, I think uh, for the most part, nobody trusts the media at all, which is not an unhealthy thing. They trust their media, but they don't trust your media. Is, isn't that a bit unhealthy? I trust the people who I chose to reinforce my perspective, but I don't trust the other people. Well, it's, we live in a crazy time, and I don't know what it's going to be like looking back now at what's happening now. Because as you're talking to me, we're in the middle of this incredible pandemic, which is killing a lot of people and making a lot of people sick, or it's a hoax. Right. <laughs> so you should wear your mask if you're a Democrat, but don't wear it if you're a Republican. So how is how did we get here? How did we get to the, if you're wearing a face mask, it's basically like holding up your registration card, I'm a Democrat. And if you're not wearing your face mask, um, it's the same thing. It's I vote GOP. Yeah, I think the, the answer is because we're insane right now. Uh, it, it's crazy. We are so polarized that we actually believe uh, the label rather than the product. If the label says it's fake news, then it's fake news. It doesn't matter what the product is. It doesn't matter what it says. If the label says uh, people are wearing masks to make uh, the president look bad, you believe that and you don't wear a mask, even though you wear the mask for your own good. So how much of this is social media? I mean, how much of... Are I'll believe a scientist or I won't. I'll believe the president or I won't. How much of this is because we get to pick our own sources of information? Um, 97.2%. Okay, I hear you saying a lot. <laughs> yes, a lot. A lot. No, a lot. Uh, you, you can see almost diametrically ver opposed versions on cable TV at the same time, at the same hour at night, totally believed by the people watching in their, pardon me, silo bubble. Uh, and, and that's the way it is. I mean, this COVID epidemic is such a great example of it because when it first came along, a lot of people were saying, and maybe even you were, well, you know, uh, it's like maybe the flu. Yeah, uh, we all did the research. Three years ago, 65,000 people died from the flu. Uh, so it's, maybe it's not so bad. Uh, maybe we don't have to wear a mask. I think they're, they're overdoing it. They're scaring us. They're trying to scare us. And I always ask the question, who, why are they trying to scare you? <laughs> what, who, who's scaring you and why are they scaring you? And then it turns into a whole political mess. I mean, you're exactly right. It has become um, such a proxy for partisan affiliation. And I mean, social media has completely changed. If I talk to my students... That's how they get their information. They follow certain people on Twitter or Instagram um, or Facebook. And, and, and also, your students, they're not watching the evening news. 
that's gone. If they're home with their parents, maybe. Yeah. No, and, and you have law students, you know, you have people who are involved in the discussion that's going to go on in this country, but they're not consuming news the way you did and certainly the way I did. They're getting in snippets. They're getting it on their phone. They're getting it from their influencers that they follow. So is this a particularly precarious time to be a member of the media? And in part because I have never witnessed the media under attack by the president of the United States before. Uh, yeah, I mean, Nixon would go after the media a little bit. Even even Obama got a little snarky with the media toward the end. And he was the media's favorite president, probably. Maybe JFK was as well. But think about that. When JFK was president, the media... Uh, knew he was having women coming to the White House. They not only didn't report on it, they probably covered for him. Right. That's a, think about that. That is a big change. How important is it that we continue things like White House briefings? I mean, now we either don't get them, or in my mind, we don't actually get many facts. Is that even where people get information anymore? Uh, some, it's more of a sparring match. And then the report of how the reporters, uh, didn't get along with whoever the current spokesperson is. Right. It's a strange time because a lot of people, uh, who don't like Donald Trump, uh, don't like him for the reasons that they should like him in that when he leaves the white house, he always talks to the press. There's been no president in history who's ever been as accessible as he is. Yeah, he's holding an, in his mind. He's holding a news conference, you know, every other day and he's tweeting. So it's unfiltered. You're getting his real word, not filtered through the liberal hoax filled press. Do you think that Donald Trump's treatment of the media is and this is my question for so many things. Is it an aberration or is it the beginning of a pattern? I hope it's an aberration, and I hope uh, this presidency is an aberration, that no matter who you are, Democrat or Republican, you want to go back to some of the pillars that held up this society. I think I've talked to you that, about this before. We have a few pillars that absolutely hold up the peer of the United States. And when you start chopping away at them, you may not be aware of it that you're doing it, but slowly that peer is going to sink and, and collapse. And one of the most important things is an aggressive free press, because otherwise everybody would try to get away with everything. You don't have an aggressive free press and you don't have a light shining uh, those dark spots. We're in big trouble. It, this is the thing that, unfortunately, I feel like so many questions where it comes to local corruption or local ethics scandals and people say, you know, what can we do? And the answer a lot of times is get more local reporters there or get more reporters, period, to say, councilman, what's going on? Hey, members of the local water district, it's not sexy, but what are you doing with taxpayer funds? And with the demise of the local newspaper, you're losing that. Right. Uh, local TV can only cover so much. Newspapers could cover a lot. Newspapers could take time to cover uh, bureaus that most people have never heard of unless there's a problem. That's all going away, unfortunately. And that is, that's the light. It's uh, getting dark. Let's switch gears into uh, a slightly lighter note, but mm -hmm. 
what do you think makes a good interview? Maybe not who's a good interview, but what makes a good interview? Well, first of all, discovery makes a good interview. If uh, people watching walk away with something that they didn't know before, and it either is of some importance to them, some interest or entertaining for them. Uh, it, you know, I used to, my, my goal as an interviewer was if I, if I were interviewing you uh, and people wanted to know about you, I wanted to be able to kind of like climb inside your head and see the world through your eyes. What does it look like to you? Not how it looks like I think you see it, but how you see it, because we all see things a little bit differently. That would be the goal of a good interview. There's an old line about the best interviewees are people who have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they, they have things they want to say and get off their chest. And the worst kind of interview is what we used to call the Miss America kind of interview where you, you know exactly what kind of uh, it, it stunningly boring cliches would be said. Right. And we get a lot of those from politicians sometimes too. I mean, this, I think this has really defined much of your career since you asked me, which is you're endlessly curious about people and you do want to get in people's heads and you do want to help inform your audience. And I think people, people see that who are, if you had to pick one or two, who are some of the people who you really loved talking to, or you thought, yes, this was a great interview. Uh, there, there are like two versions of that. One is the great serious interview. Right. And the other is the not serious interview, which oftentimes reveals much more than the serious interview. Because what happens with serious interviews, uh, I mean, we're all actors. And what happens is we start acting when we're young. We want to come off a certain way. When I started in the business, everybody wanted to seem older. Now everybody wants to seem younger. You know, it's changed. Uh, when I first started, Anchoring the news, my first uh, television news anchor job, because more than not, I'm a talk show host, more than a news anchor, but I'm kind of a hybrid. And I can remember going on the air, I was anchoring the weekend news at KHOU in Houston, Texas. And uh, I would, we didn't have prompter, prompters were just coming in. So you had to read off the paper. So part of the talent was, could you look up and not lose your place? Because if you lost your place, you're really stuck. That's where I learned to ad lib. Uh, and I would look in front in the mirror before I went on and I'd be somebody different every night. So like one night I would be Walter Cronkite. I would say, good evening. Now at this point, I'm in my twenties and I look like I was 12. Good evening was so unnatural. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. I would practice that more than reading the news itself. And of course, I'd get on the news and I'd be so worked up on how I'm going to say good evening. It would come out like, good evening. <laughs> like a voice that didn't exist anywhere on earth. It would come out like that. But what I'm saying is that most of us are actors. We're often actors in life depending on the situation. You put on different masks in different situations. Not necessarily insincere, just a way to strategize how you get through life. Uh, and you start learning to sound a certain kind of way. Like for instance, I would know people who not on camera would say, hey, what are you doing tonight? You wanna go? Then they get on the air and say, indeed. 
Right. Words, words they would never say in real life. Indeed, sir. First of all, your Walter Cronkite voice is a little Count Dracula. It threw me for a loop. Um, anybody that you is on your list of people you just love to interview right now? At this very moment, uh, well, I'd like to. I would like to sit down with uh, Donald Trump. I would much more rather sit down with Donald Trump than with Joe Biden. Uh, Biden. You kind of know who he is and right. what makes him go. And you know his history, the tragedy of his young life when he was 29 and his wife and child died, when he, cop- uh, when he cheated off of Neil Kinnock's speech in 1988 that stopped him from running for the presidency, uh, how tough he was with the Anita Hill theory- hearings, waving it. But we know all that. You can just say, Joe, why are you such a jerk at times? The tough guy role that you do. What, what, what is that? That's not really who you are. But you know him. Donald Trump. And by the way, I just started reading his uh, niece's book. So I would either have more or fewer insights by the end of it. Donald Trump is an interesting guy because we I've interviewed him not at great depth, which I would like to do. I'd like to have the time to. Have him say something, question what he's saying, ask him again, come out of three different ways so that he gets off of his own tape. I mean, a great interview to me is when you get a person off the tape that they use in life and get them to stop and really think about what they are saying and challenge what they are really saying and have them defend and explain it. But it takes time to do that. But in the past, I've interviewed Donald Trump a number of times. And what we always found with Donald Trump was it was a great interview. Uh, if you uh, complimented him and made him feel good, he would pretty much give you everything in an entertaining fashion. He was really good. If you didn't, you wouldn't get it, in other words. And, and you can see that in his presidency. Yeah, it's the absolutely. same way. If you, if, you, if you are very complimentary, if you kiss his butt all the time, you're uh, a good friend and you're tremendous. Uh, and I like you strongly. But if you cross him in any way, his S list goes on forever and you don't get off of it. But so I would like to sit down and do the deep psychological interview. My training was in psychology, by the way. I was going to be a clinical psychologist. uh, And because I'm interested in why are you you? Why am I me? Why are we? Why do you see people who have every dream realized and they're not happy? And you see people who don't seem to have any dream realized and they're happy. And why are we only like three sentences away from going to blows with each other, even in the best of times? These are the things that I'm interested in. It seems to me that it's actually a very similar skill set to be a good interviewer on both radio and TV, that you had to use many of the same uh, techniques. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a knowing thing where you sit down and I'm going to do a psychological interview and I'm going to use this technique. Most of the interviews I've done in the last 20 years or so, you know, they're five, six minute interviews. So you you have to kind of start in the middle to get to the end. If it's somebody unplugging a movie, it's one thing. If it's a politician, it's another thing. But part of me, if I'm talking to a politician, for instance, I want to cut through the armament. I want to find out who are you really? Why do you do this really? Now, that's not policy because policy bores me, too. I want to know who you are, how are you raised, why did you go in this direction, how much of you, like, I want to find the rare politician 
who truly is there to serve, not to serve themselves, but to serve, not to say they're here to serve, but it's, it's, it takes a healthy ego, right? To want to be looked at, talked about, be important. I mean, there's that. And it takes an unhealthy ego to really want to be a politician a lot of the times. How rare is it in your experience? I mean, how rare is that? Well, one, how often can you get a politician off message? Uh, back, back when I interviewed more politicians at a greater length of time, I could. If I had the time, I could. Uh, I mean, one of, one of the cheap tricks of interviewing is, uh, it's not a big secret, but if I'm interviewing you and it's an uncomfortable area, and, and you stop and you give me a short answer. And I wait. So a lot of people are afraid of dead air. And yeah. I wait. The compulsion to fill in that dead air on the part of the person who you're interviewing will bring to light stuff you'll never get if the interview is slick and glib and moving along. There's a very similar technique when you are deposing people or when you are... Um, talking to them at trial when they're testifying where mm-hmm. you just say, Oh, okay. And then, but I, but I, but I, right. right. I, I killed him. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So in answer to your question about who would it be, I'd really like to do a really long interview with Donald Trump and keep his attention, which I think is difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I would like to keep his attention and bring him back each time. It would require that he was up to do the interview that way. It does require that to some extent. No, I've said this over and over again, and I've experienced it a lot. Law and justice. Not the same. Sometimes never travel the same road. And that's what I find disturbing, where the law gets in the way of the purpose of, of the law. Well, in part because we make a decision that it's better to have laws that we strictly adhere to than it is to make people happy 100% of the time. Well, I guess what I should say is we make a decision that is better to adhere to the law, even if there are circumstances in which you get an unhappy outcome, because we think it's better to have a framework that we respect than it is to break and bend and expand and contract the law to make sure that um, you you always protect the people because we actually think that that could lead to more harm. How is that for a law professor answer? That is an excellent answer. As our listeners know, towards the end of this podcast, I ask my guests the same three questions. First question is, which famous person dead or alive would you want to invite to a dinner party and why? Uh, let's put the asterisks of someone other than Donald Trump, because we know you'd like to interview him. Yeah, but I don't want to have inter- dinner with him. Though. It's different. Yeah, that's true, right? Okay. You're not going to... Right. Define your terms here. Sorry. Uh, um, Benjamin Franklin. Benny Franklin. I'd like to sit down with Ben Franklin. Go to a deli with Ben. Uh, and he was probably the Renaissance man of all Renaissance men. He was there at the beginning. Much of who we are and what we are today comes from Ben Franklin. He was an inventor, an entrepreneur, a little bit of a rascal, I think, as well. Uh, I would want him to tell me what he sees now and thinks of now 
this culmination of the great experiment that he got involved with. That's what I'd really like to know. Right. How many antacids is he going to need when he looks around and realizes that this is what happened? But next time, uh, pick somebody a little more historical. Pick somebody a little more highbrow. That's been frankly. You're right. stranded on a desert island and you can eat one meal over and over and over again. Which meal? For the rest of, oh, for the rest of my life. Well, I don't, I mean, a helicopter might be coming if we have enough funding. Yeah. For okay. So my question to you, it's a desert island. Is it big enough? Am I, am I getting my aerobics in? Yeah, you can work off the extra calories of the meal that you're going to pick. And is there any uh, flora on the island that I can pick at a little bit when I'm not eating this meal? Let me point out that in the uh, almost dozen guests that we've had, nobody has um, asked this many questions about the desert island. Yeah, so there's some plants, uh, plant life. There's some edible plant life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would, uh, but I have to eat it over and over and over again. Okay, I would say, <laughs> I would like to have halva. We're not, we're not doing another interview. <laughs> we're all done no. <laughs> Baklava would have been a better answer. Baklava. I actually, if I could have thought, no, I probably over and over again, I would like to, uh, I'd probably like to have a cheeseburger. You have a superpower for an hour. Mm-hmm. What is it and why? If I had the superpower and if I didn't use it to do something like cure all disease, or the other answer, which would be take whatever it is, the belligerence we all have in us and get rid of it and live truly in a peaceful world. That's what the power I'd like to have. And then you couldn't live with yourself if you didn't use that power, your superpower for that reason. And then we'd. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear yeah. yeah. I, I might want some other selfish, self-aggrandizing stuff, but I couldn't live with myself with it. Steve Edwards, thank you for passing judgment with us. You can find Steve on Instagram at Steve Edwards LA. Yes. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the show on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you to our listeners. The show is very new. We love the fact that you are listening, rating, subscribing, and we will see you next time on Passing Judgment. <laughs>